Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good morning, everyone. It is Thursday, February the 10th, 2022. It is currently 1038 a.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the empty sanctuary of Victory Baptist Church located right here in Ovalo, Texas. Now, there is something that I have been talking about. It, it seems like forever. It, it really, I can really trace it back specifically to my, what, three-year, four-year, verse-by-verse study of 1 Corinthians. Because every week when I would stand behind the pulpit that I'm currently looking at, because I'm here in the back of the sanctuary, so standing behind the pulpit that's up there in the front of the church, I'm at the back of the church, but from that pulpit, Every time we would start our study of 1 Corinthians, I would say these words. 1 Corinthians is a letter written to a church that was located in a city. The city was influencing the church more than the church was influencing the city. I said that week after week after week after all of these years. If I even start saying those words, most of the people in the church who were here at that time can finish the entire statement because they heard it so many times. 1 Corinthians is a letter written to a church located in a city. The city was influencing the church more than the church was influencing the city. That concept has been true in in a roundabout way throughout the entire history of Christianity. Wherever Christianity finds itself over and over and over again, The culture influences Christianity more than Christianity influences the culture. It just happens. Why? Because we spend very little time inside a church building. We spend very little time inside the church. The church is made up of people, and those people spend their lives inside the culture, being influenced by what the culture is saying, what they're talking about on the news, what they're talking about in entertainment, music, books, what people are talking about at work. They're influenced by the culture, and they bring that culture back into the church. So then that begins to influence the church. What is preached? What is taught? Pastors begin to realize, well, the people think this way. And if I say this, well, how is that going to impact the church? A lot of factors come into play here, but it's just the reality that what goes on in culture influences the church in some way, shape, or form. Now, in many cases, the church is very slow and I think is reactive instead of proactive. Sometimes the church is very slow to look at what's going on in the culture going, okay, right there, right there, right there. Okay, we need to start talking about that today. Usually we start talking about it Almost after, I mean, after everyone's already moved on to the next thing, the church is like, hey, guys, remember this? Everybody's like, no, we've already moved on from that. The church sometimes is very slow. So I like keeping my ear to the ground, using that illustration, to to hear what is going on. I, I can remember... I grew up in Buffalo Gap, Texas, and right there, like you walked across the street from my house, there was like an, an older house, and then you you just went around that house through, through the like the backyard, and then right there was basically the railroad tracks was just, I mean, what, a block away, less than a block away from my house, and I spent a good portion of my childhood playing on those uh, train tracks, on those railroad tracks. I mean, walking up and down the tracks. If, if they had left uh, any any 
train cars that were left to the side. Sometimes they would, they would, they, there was like a separate track there. They would leave these train cars there. We played all over those car, those train cars, crawled inside of them, out on top of them. Every, I mean, constantly. We would run, when the train came through Buffalo Gap, sometimes it would slow down and we would hop up on the train, ride it for, you know, a, a, a little ways and then try to jump off. Wasn't always smart, especially when the train started speeding up. And it could have, obviously, we could have been, you know, gravely, we could have been, we could have been seriously injured, but we didn't think about any of those things. But yeah, I spent a lot of time on the train tracks. And one of the things you would do is you would, like, because sometimes this would happen. We would be just, you're just out on the train tracks and we we're just playing and talking. And next thing you know, sometimes you wouldn't even realize. And the train would literally, like, be on you and you didn't even hear it coming. You think you would, but at some point you just become so used to the sound. And so there are a couple of times we came really close to getting hit by a train. But um, a lot of times what we would do is you could, you could put your, you know, get down on your hands and knees and put your ear on the, on the rail for the, for the train, for the train tracks. And sometimes you could almost in your, uh, you place your ear there and you could almost, you could, I can't really explain it. You could almost hear a rumble letting you know the train was was somewhere close. And so, if, like, I like to keep, in a sense, place my ear down to the ground to kind of hear where is culture going? what What's going on within the culture? So I, I watch and listen to news, not because I want to get caught up in all of the political back and forth that has so hijacked Christianity, but I like hearing what's going on, what the world is saying, what's going on in the world, because I know what's going on in the world comes inside the church, and sometimes what happens inside the church is when they start talking about what's going on in the world, they don't reflect a biblical perspective. They reflect the culture's cultural perspective. And the church has to constantly fight this. That's why we have to know, hey, this is what's going on in the world. Hey, here's a biblical perspective on that. You're, you're thinking about it. You're, you've been more influenced. And I say this all the time. You, you're being more influenced by, you know, Glenn Beck, Sean Hannity, Fox News than you are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I, I just think that there's there's always that that's something to always constantly I, I, I well I try to balance it out. I know this. You can you can run around and try to address every cultural issue over and over and over and over and over and try to say, here's the biblical way to think about it, here's the biblical way to think about it. Typically you're gonna get pushback and Christians are gonna just fight you and fight you and fight you and fight you. So I've kind of learned that's just at times that can just become a exercise in futility. So one thing I, I, I really realized that the best thing you can try to do, first and foremost, is by trying to get Christians to actually study the Bible. So that's why we do the Bible study exercises, because I'm, I want people to actually, no, actually study the Bible, actually study it over and over and over and over, because that will start hopefully transforming the way they think. So then they will have a more biblical approach to some of these issues. But so many times when Christians talk, it's just like, wow, where, where is Bible in your thinking? It's so political. It's so cultural. It's so, it's either so American. I'll speak here in America. It's like, that's just the typical American way of thinking. Or that's the typical, I'm here in Texas. That's such a Texan way to think. And it's like, where is the Christian way to think? So first you got to just give people the Bible as much as possible. But there are times you got to say, hey, this is what's going on in the culture. And right now within culture, there is this massive push in so many different ways that people don't want to be, put it this way, there's a pushback on anything that would make them feel guilt or make them feel uncomfortable. In other words, not just guilt or being uncomfortable, just 
There's this, just this desire that if I don't want to hear it and I don't like it, then I want it silenced and I want it removed, right? So if there's teaching about something in the public school system, I don't want my kids hearing that. That can make them feel guilt. That can make them feel uncomfortable. I don't want them to hear that. There's books in the library that I don't want them. And it's like we want it removed, banned, silenced, censored. We, it, it's, this is just a, it's infiltrated every aspect of life, the world and Christianity. It's like if we, 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 we've already done, we did a report about the church in Tennessee burning books. And I can constantly play audio of parents yelling and screaming at school board, um, you know, meetings about, I don't want this taught to my kids and I don't want that book. And I, and it's like, it's like, it's insane. Everybody wants to only hear what they want to hear. They only want to hear the perspective they want to hear. They don't want to hear any different perspective. And if they hear a different perspective, they want to silence it. They want it removed. And this is true of every side, conservative, liberal. And it's, I don't know what's happened, but I will tell you this, that way of thinking is absolutely detrimental to one's spiritual life. And I'm going to try to demonstrate that in a minute. But first, let's go to, to listen to what the world is saying in regards to something going on in Florida, right? Something's going on in Florida, and uh, it, and they're going to ban something. They want to ban anything, I guess, that will make someone feel guilt or be uncomfortable. I, again, I, I don't want to get into the politics of this as much as I want to just talk about how this is applicable to the church, right? But let's go to Florida. Let's listen. to This is from NPR. I heard this, I don't know. The other night, one, two in the morning where I'm listening to news podcast. And um, as soon as I, I got up and said, okay, I got I to gotta save this because uh, this, this could serve as a good illustration. So just think about how the culture influences the church and how this way of thinking that you're going to hear in this news story, I want you to think about how has this infiltrated the church, not just recently, but a long time ago. You, you, you tell me. Here we go. More than a dozen states have placed restrictions on how race and inequality are taught in schools. Florida is one of them, and the state's governor wants to go further. He's proposed a bill that would ban schools and businesses from teaching subjects or conducting training that would cause white people to feel guilt or discomfort on account of their race. Okay, so they've placed restrictions now on how you can talk about race and inequality. Right. And, and this this all really goes down and we could get into this uh, about critical race theory. Remember, I have said that I believe critical race theory became the boogeyman. I think critical race theory became this mysterious villain that everyone's like, we've got to stop critical race theory, critical race theory, critical race theory. So if anyone stands up and says, hey, guys, um, I don't know if you know this, but the United States of America used to, well, sell human beings as property. It was called slavery. America practiced it. America, in many aspects, was built uh, using slaves. Uh, America denied people of, cert of a certain race civil rights. They weren't allowed to do this. They weren't allowed to do that. That is horrible. And it's like, as soon as you say anything like that, that's critical race theory. I don't want it in my school. I don't want my kids to hear it. I don't want my kids to feel bad. I don't want them to think America was ever bad. And it's like, calm down. So there's all of these, now it's becoming a very political thing, a political thing, right? So if you, if you talk about racism or slavery or the civil rights movement and, and how uh, Jim Crow laws or many things in the United States, the history of the United States of America, people, people will immediately accuse you of being woke or being liberal. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. 
What, what has happened now? So we're going to pass a bill <laughs> that would prohibit anyone from feeling like you can't teach anything that would so, make someone feel uncomfortable or feel guilt because they are white. Hey, hey, if you feel uncomfortable because you're white, if you feel any guilt because you're white, then we're not going to allow that subject to be taught. That's the way it's going to work. That's the way it's going to work. I don't know. I don't know about you, but if I'm sitting in a classroom and let's say I, uh, I'm, I've got five fellow classmates who are all of, they, they, they are Native American. They are part of different tribes, right? Comanche, Apache, whatever tribes. And I'm just mentioning tribes that I, I know from this area. And there's lots of different Native American tribes. And we're studying a segment in history about the Native Americans basically, you know, being removed from their land, you know, uh, placed on reservations, all of the horrible things that occurred in the history of the United States of America. Uh, I'm going to feel a little uncomfortable and feel guilty that that occurred. I'm going to feel bad. Now, either, even though I had nothing to do with it, I am still going to feel bad that basically white White people moved into areas and took lands from other from other people. Now, I know you can say, well, the tribes were doing this. I understand that there's always lots of different, well, what about them? And what about this? And what about that? The bottom line is you can point to other behavior to try to justify bad behavior, but it was still bad behavior in what occurred. It was horrible. Um, here in um, the Abilene, Texas area, there's a museum. It's really cool. It's called Frontier, Texas. And you go through and there's like these holograms and they tell you the story of, of this area of West Texas. And there, there's this one absolutely horribly disturbing display. You walk in and it's like this stack. Just, I mean, it goes all the way to the steel, a ceiling. Now they may have re- changed it now, but it, it was there. And it shows basically like the bones of buffaloes, right? This just huge stack. And they talk about this period of time where basically they paid white people lots of money to go kill as many buffalo as possible and to just slaughter them because they were trying to take away the, the, the food supply and, 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 and trying to basically starve out Native Americans and take away things that were absolutely essential for their survival. It's a horrible, horrible thing. I mean, they just, and they have these, just all of this information about this horrible thing that took place. It's absolutely disturbing. Well, if you're sitting in a class and you're like, well, that's, yeah, you know, I, I, you know, I can say I didn't do it, but I, I do feel horrible that that occurred to Native Americans and that white people were responsible for that. But I want it taught. I want it taught, right? If I'm, if I'm a, if I am from Germany and I'm sitting in a schoolroom in Germany, I want to be taught what. Hitler and Nazi Germany did to the Jews. Is it going to make me uncomfortable that I'm part of a country that did that? Yes, but I want it to be taught. In other words, do we pass a rule that you can never be taught anything that makes you uncomfortable? Anything that may cause you to feel a little bit of sense of guilt? Is, is that where we're going? Is that, I'm, I'm going to play this again and I'm, I'm not going to try to interrupt this time, but this raises all kinds of questions here. But But I want you to, again, you can have all your political feelings here, but I want you to set that aside because I want you to see how this can infiltrate and impact even the way many within the church think. All right, here we go. More than a dozen states have placed restrictions on how race and inequality are taught in schools. Florida is one of them, and the state's governor wants to go further. 
He's proposed a bill that would ban schools and businesses from teaching subjects or conducting training that would cause white people to feel guilt or discomfort on account of their race. NPR's Gray Allen has a story from Miami. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis calls critical race theory crap. Although it's an academic theory discussed mostly in college education courses, the Republican governor feels it's trickled down to elementary and secondary public schools. And I think what you see now with the rise of this woke ideology is an attempt to really delegitimize our history. Last year, DeSantis' administration adopted regulations banning schools from teaching critical race theory. Now he wants to strengthen those regulations and broaden them to include not just schools, but also businesses that conduct training to promote diversity and equity. Just understand, when you hear equity used, that is just an ability for people to smuggle in their ideology. The Florida legislature is now considering a bill proposed by the governor that would prohibit educational lessons or training that cause people to feel, quote, discomfort, guilt, or anguish on account of their race. It doesn't name white people, but DeSantis says it will make sure no race is scapegoated in lessons or training influenced by critical race theory. The bill's sponsor in the House, Representative Brian Avila, a Republican, says the measure doesn't suppress discussions of topics like slavery and racial oppression. But others ask, how can teachers be sure a discussion of disturbing historical events like slavery won't make some students uncomfortable? At a House hearing, Avila said he believes teachers know what they should and shouldn't say. That just sounds so crazy. Hey, you can teach on this subject. Well, okay, but what if it makes someone feel uncomfortable? Well, you should just know what you should or shouldn't say. How vague is that? Okay, I can teach on this, but if someone feels uncomfortable, then I've done something wrong. Like, what kind of walking on eggshells kind of nonsense is this? And I, I, I just, it drives me crazy that we've almost reached this point within our culture that you can't, you can't say anything that can offend anybody. Now this goes, I want to make this very clear. This goes on, on every side. Like you, 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 if you say anything that can make someone feel guilty or feel shame, you're not supposed to talk about it. I, I, I think that this is just, I, I don't understand. We, we should teach history based on what occurred. It's like this on one side, hey, you better never say anything negative about America. Never. Well, wait a minute. No, 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 no. There's some negative things. Look, from a, let's look at it from a theological perspective, okay? And I know this is going to come shocking, but a theological perspective will be very different than, the, than this political nonsense. A theological perspective is this. Whenever you study history of any country, of any race, of any people, of any geographical region, guess what's going to be a critical part of that study? You're going to study the horrible, horrible things those people did. Because here's one thing that is true of all people, of all nations. There is wrong and sin in their history because wrong and sin is the natural occurrence of human beings. We can't ignore that. Like, I, I don't even like, like, same thing comes to, for me, like if there's a statue there of someone that, and that statue seems to be celebrating someone who did horrible things and people want to remove the statue, I would be like, no, keep the statue there, but let's place something with it alongside, connected to it that gives the fuller picture. Yes, this person did this thing. The statue was originally built to celebrate the person doing ABC. However, the fuller story is this person also did 
the following three or four things because it will demonstrate that the reality of all people and of all of every situation there is good and there is bad because sin and failure is the is the norm of the human experience but i i i, I don't i just what is that you can teach on it but you can't make anyone feel uncomfortable you can't make anyone feel uncomfortable that so then, what, then let's just not teach anything, right? Like because because anything has the potential of making someone feel guilty or uncomfortable. Let's not teach anything, okay? At that point, just go to school and just sit there because we everyone's afraid to teach anything because as soon as you start teaching it, critical race theory, critical race theory, crit, critical race theory is everywhere now. It's like the omnipresent subject that just no matter what is said, I think that's critical race theory. The average person who condemns critical race theory would not, if I brought them an academic book on critical race theory, they probably wouldn't even be able to identify it. But if I bring a book that's definitely not critical race theory, but just says anything about race, they'd be like, that's critical race theory because it says, you know, racism existed. How dare you write a book that says that? Like, it's so, it's, it's, it's reached levels of insanity that we've reached this point. Now, I think when you talk about if you any history, put it this way, no group is exempt from when studying history, pointing out the wrong and bad and evil that that group was involved in. I don't care what country, I don't care what people, because you can always put put it this way: you look at anyone's history, there's going to be, in a sense, skeletons in the closet. And the study of history has to be the good, the bad, the ugly. The good, the bad, the ugly. And we've got to embrace the good, the bad, and the ugly. Because it's the story of human history. The, there, there's no redemption. And in many cases, human history is not a redemption story apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because no matter the past, the present, or even looking to the future, the one thing, look, looking to the future, you know what I'm going to see? Sin, inequality, injustice, and wrong. But but no 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 don't make anyone I, I it's just don't make anyone feel uncomfortable don't no, don't make anyone feel guilty it, it, it's kind of reached a, a a critical level and and again we're going to apply this to the church in a minute but let's listen to a little bit more of this a moment that there is any sort of hesitation from an educator as to whether they should say something or not it's always safe and prudent for them to basically err on the side of caution and not say it that is the very definition of a chilling effect. Democratic Representative Dottie Joseph. Which is a telltale sign of a violation of the First Amendment. This bill is un-American. At a hearing in the House Judiciary Committee last month, Democratic Representative Ramon Alexander told Republicans on the panel he believed it was written for a single purpose, to mobilize the party's conservative voter base. That drew a rebuke from the chair, Republican Representative Aaron Grawl. Representative Alexander, if you can keep your comments to the bill and not direct it to the motivations of the members that are on this committee in either party, please. Yes, Madam Chair, but I think the motivations is the reason why we're having the bill. Republicans say the regulations and proposed law aimed at banning critical race theory don't stop the teaching of historical facts. But Michael Butler, a history professor at Flagler College, says that's already happened. Last month, Butler was set to lead a seminar for public school teachers on the history of the civil rights movement that was abruptly canceled. Osceola County's school district said it needed to review the materials in light of current concerns about critical race theory. Butler is angry. I teach historical truth. I know what critical race theory is. And what I was teaching was absolutely in no way, shape, or form critical race theory. 
Osceola County School District says it remains committed to teaching, quote, the facts and realities of the history of our country. But in the meantime, Butler says, teachers, especially history teachers, are afraid. I've had several teachers reach out to me and ask, how are we supposed to teach African-American history during Black History Month? And I think that's a valid concern. It's a discussion playing out in Florida and across the country. A measure similar to that nearing adoption in Florida has sparked a federal lawsuit in Oklahoma, filed on behalf of students and teachers who say it violates their freedom of speech. Greg Allen, NPR News, Miami. Now, we can we can talk about how that's playing out in, in society and culture. Everyone has their opinions. I think it's ridiculous. I think it's it's I think everyone's lost their minds. You're, whenever you teach anything, it, there's a good chance someone's going to be uncomfortable and someone's not going to like it. Right. In fact, l- the definition of uncomfortable. Let me just let me. Uh, let me find it right here. Uncomfortable. In fact, where's the definition here? Um, there it is. Uncomfortable. Causing or feeling a slight pain or physical discomfort, causing a feeling of unease or awkwardness. Like There's so many subjects that can make you feel uneasy or can make you feel awkward. They can be, but they have to be taught. Like we reached the point that no one can feel uneasy. No one can feel awkward. We've got to, we've got to silence anything and everything. We don't want people to feel guilty. We don't want feel, 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 people to feel bad. We, we want to uh, basically remove all negative feelings that can occur in the process of teaching a very uncomfortable subject. That's just, I, that cannot be the way we approach it. We have to talk about it. We have to deal with it. And, and I'm tired of that. Like any, I, I, I just, it's just reached a level of in, in, insanity to me. It, it's reached a level of insanity that, that you can't speak of it. Right. Right. Like, um, and it goes, and I just want you to make sure you realize it goes both ways. It goes both ways. Like if, if you say anything about race, now it's immediately critical race theory and people lose their minds. Right. And, and if you even push back on saying, come on, guys, critical race theory is not the boogeyman that's going to destroy us all. I've, heard, I've played you Christian podcasts like critical race theory is the greatest threat to the church. I'm like, critical race theory is now the greatest threat to the church? Really? Really? That's the greatest threat to the church? Uh, come on now. Like, there's just insane things. But I want you to show that this goes both ways. If you're teaching... um. If you're teaching in school and you're, you're talking about re- reproductive health, right? And you talk about the, the way a baby is formed, right? The way the baby is, is, is produced, right? Not only the, 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 the coming together of a male and a female and, all, and you go through the science of it, right? The biology of it. And you start talking about it. And you start talking about the development of that baby or some would not even allow you to say that. The development of the fetus. And you start getting into that discussion, well, it can get uncomfortable, right? It can get very uncomfortable. Why? Because some people want to believe that that's not an actual baby. Some believe it is an actual baby. And there's massive disagreements. And not only is there disagreements, there is emotional, people get upset. Well, why? Like, so in school, you got to be very careful what you say because someone could get upset. If it's, let's say you're in a high school classroom, well, so-and-so she's, she's extremely pro-choice and she like, that's not a baby. That's not a baby. The teacher 
maybe say pro-life and wants to emphasize that and that they believe the science would demonstrate, no, this is an actual baby. It has a heartbeat, has brain waves. This is a life. Like you can't, you almost have to try to discuss that in the most like Disney, like you have to almost erase anything that could cause anyone to feel uncomfortable, uncomfortable or, or discomfort or, or to feel any threat to their ideology. It's like, no, can we just figure out what the facts are? And you've got to raise to me, how could you talk about that and not raise the question? How could you not, how could you discuss that and not at least deal with the question of viability, life, heartbeat, brain waves, DNA, like all of the different things that, that would seem to indicate, I think that's an actual separate human being inside the mother's womb. It's a different sex. It can be a different sex in the mother. It has, it, it, there, there's something here that I think this is, I think this is a life. Like you can't bring that up because, oh no, now you're pushing, you're pushing your pro-life agenda, or maybe the teacher doesn't believe it's a life and they try to explain it away. Well, now you're, pre- you're, you're presenting your pro-choice or pro-abortion perspective. How many different subjects are we going to have to go down to, get down to? We're like, you know what? You just, you can't say that. You can't say that. You can't say that. You can't say that. You can't say that because you're going to offend. You're going to offend. You're going to offend. This happens on the right. happens on the left. And here's my concern. All right. Now we, we could talk about, I just want you to realize it happens on all kinds of different subjects. I, I, I'm going to see if I can find it really quick. Because I think, and I and I didn't think about this till right now. It shouldn't take me long to find it. Because I think it's very important. All right. Um, let's see here. I think it's in John chapter six. I think it's in John chapter six. All right. Uh, All right, here we go. I'll just, uh, we could we could talk a lot here about uh, everything that happened. I'll just go back to John chapter six, verse 53. All right, here we go. John six fifty three. Jesus is speaking. Jesus said unto them, verily, verily, I say unto you, except you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life and I will raise him up uh, uh, at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me and I in him. As the living father hath sent me, I live by the father. So he that eateth me even shall live by me. So he that, this is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead, but he, uh, he that eateth of this bread shall live forever. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying, who can hear it? Jesus knew in himself that his uh, disciples, that his disciples murmuring at it, he said unto them, doth this offend you? What, what, and if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? It is the Spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, therefore I said unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my father. Verse 66, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with 
him. They heard something that offended them. They heard something they did not like, and they walked away. They didn't want to hear it. Now, in 2022, they would have held a city council meeting and like, this man cannot teach this. This needs to be silenced. This needs to be removed. He needs to be, because we don't want to hear anything that we don't like. We don't want to hear anything. And, and our, our culture, it's, it's, it's horrible. This is what happens. If you're, if you're a conservative, oh, there's no way you could, you could watch MSNBC or CNN. No, 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 no. You can only get your news from Newsmax or, or, or Fox. And if you're liberal, oh, absolutely not. I cannot watch Fox. I cannot watch anything. We, we only listen to what we already agree with because we don't want to hear anything that would challenge us, anything that would give us a different perspective. I've said this so many times. I, I've tried to tell Christians when it comes to news, don't just listen to one source. Listen to news from, from, from CNN to MSNBC to BBC, Sky News, Al Jazeera, anything you can get your hands on. You listen to everything. You want to hear every perspective possible because the more pers- because sometimes you'll hear something and start thinking a certain way, and then you'll go listen to something from a completely different perspective. And you're like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. And I was starting to think that way. Now I'm not so sure that's the correct way of thinking. I've done that so many times. I'll, I'll be hearing all of this discussion about a news story and I'll form an opinion. I'm thinking, man, this is the way it is. And then I'll go listen to something from a completely opposite perspective and I'll be like, well, wait, man, I think I was wrong on that. I think I was wrong on that. That's why it's needed to hear as many different voices as possible. And hopefully those voices that we're listening to are voices that care about facts and accuracy and truth. That's a whole different discussion. But the point is, you've got to hear different perspectives. But we we don't want to hear anything. Well, guess what? That mindset that's so prevalent in the culture, I think is now in the church. And as soon as a pastor says something, there's been lots of discussions about this. Okay, pastors, um, there's a lot of your people in your church sharing misinformation all over the internet. They're all over Facebook. They're all over social media. They're sharing conspiracy theories. They're sharing misinformation. Don't you think you need to condemn this from the pulpit because the Bible says, do not bear false witness. The Bible says, put away lying, speak the truth. Don't you think you have to go after your people for sharing this stuff? And many pastors are like, I don't want to get near that. I don't want to get anywhere involved in that. They want to share false information. I don't want to, because it's, it's going to offend. You can't, you can't be challenged about that. Pastors know now that there's some subjects, anything that will, that would have any, anything that would possibly, anything that would possibly have any connection to anything political. They're like, I, I don't want to get, I don't want to get too close to that. That's, uh, that's, that could get me in trouble. That can't happen. We've got to be willing to say what will possibly offend and make people uncomfortable. It, it has to be said, but you can't challenge people on anything. Look, I know this from my own personal experience. I've told the story, but I have to tell it again. All right. We got an opportunity many, 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 many years ago to be on a local Christian radio station. Every Sunday morning, I think it was at 9.30 a.m. is when our time slot was, from 9.30 to 10. And what most churches did who were on the radio, because basically starting at around 7 in the morning to like noon, basically what this Christian radio station did is they allowed churches to have a 30-minute time slot. 
right? Now, basically what you did is you paid to be on the station. It wasn't very much. I think it was like $50. I can't remember what it was, but you paid them so much money and you got a 30 minute time slot. Okay, great. Now, what most churches did is they would just take their previous week's sermon, basically, you know, just just put it on there. And, and basically, if, if they didn't finish the whole sermon that week, then they would just, the next week, they would finish the sermon. So in other words, some cases, there were multiple weeks behind, but that's basically all they did. And of course, you know me. I'm like, well, I don't like that. We need an intro. We need, like, I, I had to try to make it as professional as possible, right? But I also knew, well, wait a minute. I got a 30-minute time slide. Why just play a sermon? Let's talk about issues. So many cases, I would turn on the microphone and I would talk about things that are going on. What's going on within Christianity in the local area? So one week, it was Super Bowl Sunday was coming up and churches all over this local area were going to cancel services for Super Super Bowl parties. Some of the churches were even going to be showing the Super Bowl inside their churches. They're going to either in their classrooms or wherever. And I'm like, wait a minute. We're going to cancel the preaching of God's word to watch the Super Bowl? This, this is wrong. So I, I, all I did was took the advertisements from actual churches where they were promoting their Super Bowl parties, and I just called them out. This is what they're doing. This is what they're doing. Now, the radio station got a little mad, but they couldn't get too mad at me because that was, <laughs> that was the Super Bowl where we had the wardrobe malfunction from Janet Jackson. So there, there, there wasn't a lot they could really get too mad at me about there. They were not happy, but they didn't really say much. They were a little uncomfortable with it, but they, they, didn't, they didn't say too much. They didn't say too much. There wasn't really any, there wasn't really any condemning. It, it, they were a little upset, but it, it didn't turn into much. But they didn't say, hey, we don't want you doing this. We don't want you doing that. We don't want you doing this. They may have said one or two things, but it wasn't, it wasn't much. Well, then uh, Easter time came around. And churches all over the place were going to have Easter egg hunts. One church was going to have the Easter bunny show up. It was just like, what in the world? None of this has anything to do with the resurrection of Christ. So I, once again, took all of their flyers, all of their advertisements. And I think in this case, I didn't actually read their names. I didn't actually read their names. I just like, this is what's going on. What what happened to celebrating the resurrection of Christ? This has turned into an absolute joke. Well, while I'm on the air, I get a phone call and well, we, we had been kicked off the air. They were done. We're done. And then the, the announcer after our program had to throw in a little, you know, derogatory comment. Had to, had to, because, you know, in other words, they weren't going to give me a chance to actually speak. It was just, it was a whole, I was just railroaded, cut, turned off because they, I was offending people. Bottom line is they didn't want me to offend anyone in Christianity on Christian radio. In other words, all I could do is if, if I turn on the microphone and I went after homosexuals or if I went after liberals or if I went after abortion, oh man, you could go to town. But if I said anything that could possibly offend Christians, I was not going to be allowed to be on Christian radio. So we were removed, kicked off the air. Even though we never violated one rule because we were never given a rule, even though there was no even negotiating, there was no talking, we were just finished, we were done because I dared to offend Christians. How dare you do that? You cannot do that. That's the number one rule. I've learned this so many times over and over and over. I've always said, 
The, my, my, when, whenever I look at the world, I don't spend a lot of time yelling and screaming about what's going on in the world. I don't, I don't get upset about it. Now, I know most of the preaching I've ever heard is always yelling and screaming about how bad the world is, how evil the music world is, or the Hollywood, or how bad liberals are, or how bad homosexuals are. It's always like the world, the world, the world, the world, the world, the world. And I've never understood our obsession with condemning the world. They're lost. What do you expect lost people to do? It's almost like Christians, like, I don't know why those lost people don't act like Christians. I'm like, well, look around the church. Shouldn't we be more worried about when we don't act like Christians, which we do all the time? So I've never really thought, spend all my time condemning the world, condemning the world. I tend to go, here's what I tend to do. I see whatever's going on in the world. And what I have a tendency to do is like, okay, what do Christians need to do about this? Um, I mean, I actually, let me state it differently. I, I look at what's going on in the world and think, how are Christians thinking about this? Is our thinking right about this? Is our actions right about this? What do Christians need to look? How do we, in other words, can, how, I take what's going on in the world and say, how can we look at ourselves in light of this? I, I did this the same thing with the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast. Everyone, A lot of people listen to the Rise and Fall of uh, rise and fall of Mars Hill. And all they wanted to do was talk about how messed up Mark Driscoll was and condemn Mark Driscoll, condemn the mega church movement, condemn, condemn. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. Maybe we should just look at ourselves. Look at ourselves. So when I hear that the world is like, we're going to pass a rule that we can't do this and we got to, you can't talk about this and you can't teach this because we don't want to be offended. I'm like, you know what? That mindset is very much in the church. It's very much in the church. If I talk about anything wrong inside the church, it's Christians who tend to get mad. They don't want to hear that. They want me to tell you how bad the world is. I don't want to hear about our shortcomings within Christianity. Judgment begins with us. We should look at ourselves first. So how comfortable have have we, has an unspoken law been passed within Christianity? so that we don't say anything from the pulpit that could possibly offend Christians. Now, we got no problem offending the world from the pulpit, but I'm talking about really saying, let's look at ourselves. Do we have a tendency to do that? Or do we have a tendency to emphasize the sin of everyone outside the church? I, I've, I've just noticed that you've got to be careful what you say. You, you just, you can't, you can't say anything. I, 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 I can remember so many times. I mean, uh, my, my, min, my, my whole ministry has been a never, it's, it's all of these series of events that got me in trouble for looking at what we do. I'll, I'll never forget. I was supposed to get out of the military and I was supposed to become the associate pastor of uh, Heartland Baptist Church in Bellevue, Nebraska. That's what, that was how it was all, I was going to be perfect, right? I was going to get out of the military. Everything was going to be great. And it was Pastor Appreciation Sunday. Oh boy. All right. And so Sunday night, we're going to do, you know, because you know what churches have to do. We're going to, we're going to shorten the sermons, right? Because we got to get downstairs to going to show pastor appreciation by having fellowship and a cake. And I, I don't know, you know, we got to eat some food because, you know, 
That's how we're going to show pastor appreciation. In other words, anytime the church does anything, you know what's going to get cut, going to get cut, the preaching of God's word. So I was asked to preach and I was like, okay, so pastor appreciation Sunday. Now, what can I do? Well, I know what's expected of me. I'm supposed to stand up and just basically say some, they wanted it somewhat short, uh, say some positive words about the pastor and about the church and, and you know, blah, you know, basically, you know, give me a, a, a nice hallmark moment. And I don't do those things. I don't, I don't do that. So I'm thinking, you know, if I was a pastor, what would, what, what would really show me appreciation? What would show me appreciation if I was a pastor? I'm like, you know what would show appreciation to a pastor? How about you people actually show up? There you go. Hey, here's a novel idea. Why don't you actually show up with a Bible ready to pay? Here, pay attention. Here's a How about actually show up on time? Like, like I went through some things that would really bother me if I was a pastor, right? So I went after some, I went after some things that I think bothers me. Like, how can you have 300 people on a Sunday night and 30 or 10 show up on a Wednesday? Like what, what, and I'm, and you think I'm exaggerating literally would look like 300 people would be there on a Sunday morning, but you get to Wednesday. We didn't even meet in the sanctuary. We met downstairs in a semicircle, just a little semicircle of chairs. And I'm like, where is everybody? But none of them can't show up on a Wednesday. Can't show up Sunday night. You go from like 300 to 75 on a Sunday. Where did everybody go? Like, how was that showing a pre like forget a cake, a potluck and a card the pastor needs to be shown appreciation by that kind of thing, actually showing up. And then and, and I talked about how from the Sunday school class that I taught for the singles, where we were kind of like literally in a closet, but there was a window and I could look down at the parking lot and I would see teenagers coming into the church. And I noticed that a week after week that they didn't come in carrying a Bible. And so I went after fact, you know, so the teenagers of this church, I guess I don't seem to think that they need to show the pastor any appreciation because when a pastor preaches, he actually wants people opening a Bible and paying attention. Oh, well, that offended the parents. Now the parents were ticked off at me. The teenagers weren't offended. The, the parents got offended because it made them look bad. But by the, by the time the sermon was over, I was done. I was finished. So that ended uh, my ministry career there. Um, I was never going to uh, be the associate pastor. Um, I could not get out of the military. Basically, the pastor had to come tell me, it's over, you're, you're done, you finished, you, you ruined yourself, basically. And, you know, I, I did, I did. Now, you could say, well, you were stupid, you were dumb. Maybe I was, but we can't ever hear anything in church that can make us uncomfortable or offend us. Never, never, we can never hear anything. We've always got to be told that everything is wonderful and everything is great. It reminds me of the prophets. Whenever they went to Israel and said, we, you're going to be judged. Oh, you hate our country. You don't hate. No, it, no, they wanted the prophets to say peace. Everything's going to be wonderful. Judgment's not coming. Christianity loves to judge everyone else. Christianity doesn't like to be judged. Christianity loves to criticize everyone else. It doesn't want to be criticized. Christianity wants to silence everyone, but it doesn't want to be silenced. Christianity wants to ban and burn everything else, but it doesn't want anything about Christianity being banned and burned. It is absolutely crazy the way Christians think on so many levels. It's just insane. And the church is the one place where I guess... You, you, can't, you can't say anything that could offend Christians. Like, no, let's look to ourselves. Let's look to ourselves. For example, 
one of the things that got me in trouble early, 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 early on when I was quote unquote, I wouldn't even, I hadn't even gone to Bible college or anything. I, I, I was, I was given opportunities to preach almost from the word go when I was, I was a young Christian. I mean, young Christian, they were still putting blame behind the pulpit. I'm not saying this was always the smart thing to do, but I can remember as a young, 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 young Christian, I went after the church on how we treat homosexuals and how we treat transgender. I, I, I wasn't, I, I think cross-dressing is the, the term I used back. It was like in the late, in the eight, 1980s. But I went after how, you know, homosexuals and, and cross-dressers and people like, how do we treat them? And, and instead of condemning the behavior I went after how the church responds to people like that. And again, and, and, and I offended Christians because what I should have done is condemned homosexuals. Now, I got no problem saying homosexuality is a sin. I got no problem saying that. But so is, so is fornication, right? So is, so is all the teenagers involved in sexual sin sitting in the youth group. Yeah, like so, so like it's, it's but we, we no, just condemn everyone else's sin. And it's just so weird that we, we like the culture has gotten this. And I think the church has this mindset. We have to hear perspectives we don't always agree with. We have to hear things that sometimes may step on our toes that may offend us. When you go to a church, if the pastor's not preaching to you, he's preaching about people not there, then what's the point of you being there? The people he's preaching about should be there. If he's always preaching about the world, the world, the world, the world, the world, those bad Catholics, those bad that, and it's never about you, then he's not, pre- he's not ministering to you. He's trying to minister to the people not there. You've got to say things that may offend the people here. I have a tendency to say, I'm going to talk about the people. I'm going to talk about things that are possibly offensive to the people sitting in front of me. But I, I just, I think it's fascinating that now we're going to pass rules. You can't, you can't teach anything that can make someone feel uncomfortable. You just can't. You just can't do that. That's just, that's a step too far. We don't want them to feel guilty. We don't want them to feel uncomfortable in any way, shape, or form. Well, I'm sorry, you deal with some racial issues. There's going to be some uncomfortable things. There's going to be some uncomfortable things. Now, it goes both ways. When I lived in Nebraska... Boys in the Hood came out, and there was all this discussion uh, about going around uh, in the news about violence occurring at movie theaters, and almost it was almost like this idea that if you were white, you could not go see Boys in the Hood in certain parts of of of, of certain cities that may be more you know th- that may have a population that, or that was not white, and I was like, well, that's ridiculous. That 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 that's absurd. That's absurd. You cannot tell me that I should not be able to go to a theater that is not filled with white people and I'm being white to see this movie. If this movie is about what's going on in the inner city, then then as someone who's never lived in the inner city, who doesn't know that experience, people should want me to be there so that as a white person, I can understand what people of color may experience within the inner city. So I was like, no. So I looked and like, okay, what, what what theater can I find in the Omaha area that is the least white area that I can fos- possibly find? I'm like, I'm going to go because I I I am not going to be intimidated by that. I I cannot stand that kind of nonsense. So I'm like, I'm going. So I went. 
Um, I walked in, and yes, I was the only white person there. Oh, I had a few comments thrown at me. Yes, I did. I had some things thrown at me, like popcorn, different things. Uh, you know, so I had I had some questions about why am I even there, and it got a little. I got a little nervous. I got a little nervous. I got a little nervous. There were things said in the movie that I was like, oh, come on now. That's not, mm, I, I, I don't understand that way of thinking. I don't understand that way of thinking. There, there's got to be, like, I, I was looking at what was going on, in, 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 quote, in the inner city in, the, in this movie, Boys in the Hood, and I'm like, I, there's got to be a better solution than this, right? So other people were talking to the screen. I, I kind of got involved in talking to the screen, which then made some people then talk to me. So it got ten, it got intense. It got intense. And I was a little worried for my safety when it was all over. I was a little bit. I'm not going to, I'm not going to act like I was all brave. But what was crazy is I get up, I get ready to walk out and um, I'm in the like, just come right out of the, of the, of the, uh, sc- the screening, right? Right back kind of into the hallway and the, I think it was maybe four, maybe five. It was African, African-American girls who came up to me and they asked me, why are you here? And I'm like, well, I'm here because I've heard that this movie talks about the reality of what's going on in the inner cities. And I also heard that in some th- theaters that if a white person came to that, you know, they were not going to be welcomed. And I thought that that was unacceptable. So I wanted to come here to see the movie for myself and understand this perspective and they stopped and they said well you know what we think that's really cool and they started talking to me and it was awesome it was awesome I I I wanted to hear about some of their experiences that they had had they they asked me where I was from like from a little small town in Texas called Buffalo Gap I mean Abilene's where I was born but I grew up in Buffalo Gap and like you know population 200 300 people there was no you know there was no inner city there was nothing like this so I, I have not experienced these things. So they were really cool. And they, before it was all said, they actually said, thank you. Thank you for, for willing, be willing to, to hear and see this perspective. And, and, and turned out to be a great experience. It was, it got a little, it was a little nerve wracking, but the thing is, is look, did, did everything it said in that movie make me comfortable or I agreed with? Not necessarily, but I still wanted to hear that perspective. I still wanted to hear and see that perspective because it's a perspective that I didn't have. I, I've told the story. I, I, I just, I'm trying to just throw out a lot of different examples here. I had heard over and over and over from many people who are African-American, uh, people who grew up in different parts of the country, how of their encounters with police. And they would tell these stories. I'm like, there's just like part of me wants that. There's just no way that's real. There's just no way. They're, like I, I've had to deal with some jerky cops, but I've never had to deal with these kinds of things. This can't. And it's like a part of me is like, that can't be. That just can't be. Until one night in Council Bluffs, Iowa, I'm with my friend who's African American. We're driving back home because the church had this church function, hayride nonsense, whatever it was that I had to go to. Because if I didn't go to, I wasn't spiritual or something. So him and I was like, let's leave. So we're going to leave early. So he's in my truck. We're driving through Council Bluffs, Iowa. I don't, it's, I don't know how late. It, it can't, it's not even midnight. It's probably 10 or 11 p.m. And I pull up to a red light. I stop, turn on my blinker, and I turn a right on a red. There's no sign saying I cannot do this. Next thing you know, lights come on, police car behind me, pulls me over. And I'm like, what in the world is going on? Why would they get pulled over taking a right on a red? I stopped. 
I, I'm clearly not even speeding because I just stopped at the red light. And, like, there's nothing going on here. And what blew my mind is the cops did not come to my side of the car. They went to my friend's side. They tapped on the window. And he rolls down the window. Wait, he's the passenger. They were in the window and they, their first words were, what are you doing, boy? And I look over like, what the heck is going on? Now, my, my, my thinking was probably words I probably shouldn't even say. And I'm like, this cannot be happening. And they kept referring to him as boy. They wanted to see his driver's license. And I'm like, what is, whoa, I'm the one driving. I'm the one driving, right? And so I'm starting to get mad. He's starting to get mad. I'm trying to calm him down. And I'm like, what is, and it's clearly like they're almost trying to provoke him to do something. And I'm like, I have never witnessed anything like this in my life. Like this can't be, this is something out of a movie, right? Finally, they come over to my side. They, 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 they like start questioning where, where have we been? Where are we going? And I'm like, why is it any of your business of where I'm going or where I've been? Did I do? And then they tried to tell me I ran a red light. And I'm like, I didn't run a red light. It, it was just this, it was, it lasted, it felt like for 30 minutes. It probably was about 15 minutes back and forth, back and forth. They wanted, I think they even took the driver's license from my friends, which makes absolute, for my friend, which actually makes no sense. He wasn't even driving. Do they even have a right to do this? They finally came back and then just gave us a warning. I don't know what it was about. I, to this day, don't know what happened. It was the most insane racist garbage that I've ever experienced in my life. I was so angry and he was like, it happens. And I'm like, what do you mean? Now he was mad, but he was like to him, he had experienced it before. I'm like, how could you have ever experienced anything like that can't be happening? Like in my mind, that doesn't happen. That's movies. That that's hot. I saw it firsthand. Changed my whole perspective. Made me very uncomfortable. Okay, made me very uncomfortable. But that that reality needs to be talked about. Could that make white people uncomfortable? Yes, it could. It can't be ignored. Like I, I you you would have asked me before that. I would have said people make it up and they're exaggerating. I witnessed it. Mm, yeah, my, my whole perspective changed drastically. Now, I don't want to exaggerate and say every cop is that way. I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to say every time something goes wrong in a traffic stop, it's because of that. I don't, I can't exaggerate it from that perspective, but we can't deny it. All I'm saying is if you're going to talk that in culture, you're going to have to say things that can make people uncomfortable. And that way of thinking cannot come into the church where we're like, we don't want to hear anything that makes us uncomfortable. I open up scripture, I'm going to be made to feel uncomfortable, especially if it's the application is to us. We want to make the application to everyone other than us. We cannot do that. We cannot do that. There you have it. I'll just stop right there. That's a crazy news story to me. And I don't know where this is all going. I mean, this kind of fits in with so many things happening within culture you know, someone says this, someone says that, silence them, get rid of them, cancel them, boycott this, 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 that. I mean, it's, I, I just, I don't know where it, where, 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 where I guess we're going to be in a culture where everyone is going to be canceled. Everyone's going to be canceled. And when you silence everyone, where are you then? 
But I'm worried about this, what's how silencing that occurs to pastors from pulpits. We got to look at how this applies to the church. All right, I'll stop right there. You can email me your thoughts. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. All right, thanks for listening. Everyone have a great day. God bless.